You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Once again, not joining me as always, is my good friend Frank Madden. Frank is not joining us because, well, if I know Frank well enough, he's actually probably listening to this while holding his newborn. So hi, Matilda. It's great to meet you. Um, you're doing a great job as a Bucks fan. The Bucks haven't lost since you've been born, so we really appreciate it. Um, just keep doing what you're doing. So Frank has a beautiful baby daughter, Matilda, and that is why he was out on Friday, and that is why he is out today, and joining us today instead of Frank, and instead of Mitchell, is our good friend Dean Maniat at All the Bucks. Dean, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. There's no introduction today, like we talked about earlier. Um, there's going to be one next time, and I've got a song prepared. See, that's that is just excellent. I I was honestly a little bit disappointing when you said you were coming down with a little bit of something, so you didn't want to like really ruin your voice by singing and getting really into it. So I, I look forward to the next time. But I also feel like this is a ploy on your part to make sure that you get it next time because I want to hear you do that. Um, so like, this is just some, like, this is a scheme to get yourself on the podcast again. This is public demand. I mean, there's like thousands of people out there (laughs) that demanded that I come back to the podcast and it took you so long to do it. And I mean, I'm so, (laughs) so mad at you. Yeah, obviously, uh, this is kind of a a podcast done under protest because obviously I don't want you here, but that's okay. We're going to go through it. Um, The Bucks have now played three games in the Joe Prunty era. They are undefeated in the same Joe Prunty era. They have won all three games. Um, Obviously, we talked about it a little bit last week, but that first one against the Suns, I don't know really how relevant it was just because Prunty had taken over two three hours before the game um so there there wasn't really going to be any sort of time for adjustments or changing the way that you play or, or really anything like that so uh frank and i kind of stayed away from any details of that one but now they had three days of practice tuesday wednesday thursday before their friday game um and then obviously uh, another day on saturday before the sunday game so they've had some time to work through some stuff um so i think we'll get into a little bit uh, about some of the the larger things that we see different under joe prunty as opposed to jason kidd but first uh we'll just kind of Talk about those two games and what happened in them. On Friday, the Bucks win 116-91 over the Brooklyn Nets. Giannis was uh, transcendent, spectacular, brilliant, whatever you may want to say. 41 points, 13 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 steals, 2 blocks in 33 minutes. 14 of 20 from the field, 3 of 3 from 3, 10 of 11 from the free throw line. Just straight up ridiculous. I mean, you know, he was 
Uh, pretty much Yanis from the, the first three or four games. And I haven't seen that in a while. And I was actually very happy to see him do that. Um, you know, just casual Yanis, ridiculous numbers. And and like you said, like we don't re- like we haven't seen that guy in a while. Like we haven't seen him be able to just kind of have the ball all the time, score a bunch of points, and just take over. And I know I joked with him after the game that he's going to have to start asking for eight days off between every game that he plays if that's what his legs are going to look like. But, man, he was really just all over the floor. And I don't know that he's openly disrespected a defender in a post-game press conference in the same way that he did uh, with Jared Allen, but he mentioned something about how he told John Henson that if he can set an angle screen for him, that he should do it as much as possible because Jared Allen can't stop him. And like it was just weird. Giannis doesn't really use people's names in post-game press conferences like that, but there it was like, yeah, I saw that rookie in there, and every time he was there protecting the rim, I knew I was going to be able to get there. So it was just kind of strange, but also just fun. Like it, If you needed an end of the drama and just wanted to watch basketball and actually see them get on the floor, that should suffice. Like you see yeah, Giannis go for 41. Yeah, I mean, if you saw, I, saw, I tweeted out what de- devastated Giannis's stats were, and they were pretty <laughs> nice. And the funny thing is, after I saw the uh, post-game presser for Giannis, and he mentioned that Allen bit, I immediately went to YouTube and watched the, um, what was it, game three against the Raptors in the playoffs, mm-hmm. where he totally dissed DeMar DeRozan. Yeah. About the eight points. Yes. Oh, my God, yes. That's like one of the few times he's ever done that. Yeah. So it, it, it was just kind of interesting to see that. Obviously, in that game as well, Middleton, a solid night, efficient night as well. 21 points, 9 of 14 shooting, 2 of 3 from 3, 3 rebounds, 2 assists. Uh, Bledsoe and Henson also in double digits, 14 points for Bledsoe, but 5 of 16 shooting, 12 points for Henson on 5 of 7 shooting. Um, and just a, a generally... A, very a, a bit strange game just huge quarters by b- both teams Milwaukee 33 to 15 in the first quarter then Brooklyn 37 23 in the third quarter which kind of set it for a fourth quarter that might be close but not really close because the Bucks outscored the Nets 35 to 19 in the fourth quarter they take care of business to Sunday 110 to 96 the Bucks take care of business there and Really, they do it with a, a big second quarter, a 35-22 second quarter, where they just kind of got super hot from three. Started off uh, 7 of 10 from deep. Uh, the the Jet came out. <laughs> uh, I, if you would have given me a, a, anything I could have predicted after Jason Kidd was fired, um, Jason Terry having his best game of the season and doubling his... Uh, made shots for the season. Don't think I would have guessed that one. I re- Did you see how the bench reacted when the, he made it, I think, the third one? They were going crazy. I mean, it was amazing. Everyone was doing their own specific dance. Like, everyone yeah. was into it. So, um, And then, obviously, he brought out the actual Jet celebration. Like, it, it was just kind of crazy to see him score 12 points and go 4 of 6 from 3. And he almost 
did it perfectly that he didn't have any other stats. He had one turnover and one foul. But other than that, zeros across the board, just the threes, yeah. <laughs> um, which, is, which is just perfect. But uh, he gets hot. Uh, Sterling hits one. Delhi hits one. Uh, the Bucks are 13 of 28 from three in that game against the Bulls. And that includes a one for eight from three from Eric Bledsoe. Oh. So one for eight, you take that out, they're 12 of 20 from three, um, all non-Bledsoe shooters. So just kind of, they, they were incredibly hot. The bench actually made an impact. Uh, they were able to put some points on the board, which is something that the bench has struggled with a lot this year. Um, and then in the starting lineup, Giannis solid, not spectacular, 27 points, 11 of 19 from the field, 5 of 10 from the free throw line, 9 rebounds, 8 assists, a steal, and a block. Middleton, 20 points on 8 for 14 shooting, 7 rebounds, 5 assists, and a steal. Um, but really, I mean, uh, that was Giannis and Chris playing well, and then the bench kind of carrying the day. So, Lee, one interesting thing is that Giannis was, I believe, 2 of 9, um, uh, around two minutes to go in the first half. Yep. And he made two shots, and he finished the game. Um, I think eight out out of ten from yep. the field. I think that he didn't miss anything in the fourth quarter or something. It was insane. He was making some very tough shots. And <laughs> those fadeaways. I, I mean, what are you gonna do with that? It's the best shot in the universe. I love it. <laughs> I mean, if he wasn't the best three point shooter of his generation now, following the kid <laughs> firing. <laughs> I mean, I would let him shoot that shot every time down the floor. Yeah, I mean, and it was funny. Someone at halftime tweeted me something like, "That's just that was such a strange, confusing, out of sync, somehow still good half for the Bucks." And I said, like, when you have those kind of confusing halves, it's typically because Giannis is out of sync, and he was absolutely out of sync in the first half, and then in the third quarter, he just got loose the bulls gave him a, a couple favors by uh giving him some easy turnovers and he kind of got into the game and got into the flow and things started to to go a little bit better the bucks end up closing that one out 110 96 so those are very i mean i guess micro looks at uh th- those two games but i guess dean what i kind of wanted to do was to go macro here and just attempt to think about some of the, I don't want to say trends because two games isn't really a trend line, um, but just maybe what are some of the inklings we might have? What are some of the things we might think we're seeing thus far in changes from Joe Prunty um, from or from Jason Kidd to Joe Prunty? Because obviously this kind of paints what the second half of this season is going to look like, and obviously that that's really important as the Bucks try to make a playoff push here. So um, let's start offensively, where I don't know if we're seeing um, huge changes. I don't know that we're seeing a lot of difference there, but I think generally I feel comfortable saying that there's some more space. Would your eyes agree with that? First of all, I want to preface this with one thing. It was so funny that all those wonderful followers that we have, like immediately after the game against Phoenix, were like, oh my God, he didn't notice any, any changes to the defense or the offense. And I was like, it's like it's been three, three hours since <laughs> he was possible? fired. What are they going to do? 
<laughs> Joe like demands everyone come in. Come in right now. We're installing a new offense and a new defense, and you got to learn it by tonight. Like, come yeah, on. it was uh, it, it was a crazy thought, but okay. I promised some uh, followers that I was gonna make uh, a breakdown tomorrow, and I'm gonna make one. Um, okay, about the offense. Uh, there is there are some changes that are good, I might say. Um, we're gonna have to see. It's just two games, well three if you want to count the Phoenix one. Um, there is more space on the floor, and that's due to the player alignment. Um, they're more prone to send someone running to the corners, and that op- opens up opportunities for secondary breaks. Um, they do seem to be a bit confused about that, especially uh, Eric Bledsoe. Whom you have to promise me that we're going to talk about a bit later. We can do that. I have some beef with him. I will make that promise. Okay. Um, there are some interesting actions going on that I don't. I'm not. I don't feel comfortable talking about right now because it's just been two games. The sample is too small. But um, the ball seems to be moving better, and Giannis seems to be having the ball more in his hands. So you know me. I'm happy about that. Uh, did you notice anything else? I, I think the one thing that kind of stood out to me, and there was a sequence. Oh, I think it was. I think it was in the second half where Giannis scored late in the shot clock, um, and it was kind of a euro step through the middle of the lane. And I think he got the ball with about seven seconds. But what was big to me was Middleton had the ball with nine seconds. And it was a catch, an immediate pass to Giannis, and then he cut from the top of the key in front of Giannis, who was on the left wing, and then they kind of exchanged, but really it was just kind of the the start of Giannis being able to drive with his right hand to the middle of the floor. And it, it stood out to me because as you think about this Bucks team and, and you think about kind of the last, I don't even know, the last month, two months, there's just been so much stagnation. Yeah, There's been so many times where the ball just stops, and in those late shot clock spots, like there's nine seconds left on the shot clock. Like You don't need to hold it at that point. Like You don't need to force something at that point. Like You still have just the slightest bit of time to try to do something and try to bend the defense a little bit and I just thought that was a perfect example of it in that he gave the ball up made a cut in front of Giannis that was going to draw some attention to some defenders and that was going to give Giannis a little bit of a lane and and from a larger perspective it just feels like so often now you're seeing the ball actually move and, and I know this is something you've pointed out before and I think you did it with Jet early in the year one thing that both Jet and Sterling Brown do really well is it's a pass and it's an immediate cut like pass, cut, and then even if that cut doesn't doesn't really serve a huge purpose, like it's not to get a score, like you're not back cutting your guy, you're not somehow trying to uh, get loose, like you are still bending the defense in a way and creating something for someone else. And it just felt like in these last couple games, the ball's been moving more, and players have been moving more. It's that like pass and cut, and it's not everything where you get the ball, think for two or three seconds, try to decide if you can ISO, maybe put it on the deck once or twice, and then swing it. It's swing, swing, 
move, swing, move, move, swing. And it's not like at the Nets level. Like the Nets are insane with with the way that they they move on offense. But just that there's some of it now with the Bucks, I think is is an exciting development. And and maybe you're seeing it slightly different. Um, and I don't know that it's necessarily all the time with that the Bucks are doing this quite yet. But there's at least more of it, and, and that makes me feel good. Or feel I shouldn't say feel good, but at least feel a little bit better about what they're doing offensively. Um, yeah, it's generally something that's been going on. It's, I think, a good thing, not all the time, because we've seen examples uh, from the past that the box, you know, sometimes cut when the timing is not right. Like there was an example today when Sterling Brown cut from the left corner to the hoop and then was going to go to the other corner uh, at the same time that Giannis was driving. And we, I mean, we've, I've said that before that, you know, that's, Generally, is not a good thing. Just um, random movement that has no purpose. Uh, because in that example, you know, he drew the defender doing inside Giannis's lane. But it's a good thing because you know they get better looks. Um, a cut that's timely, and even if it's not you know premeditated, it's a good thing because it does bend the defense slightly. And when you have scores that you know can drive as well as Giannis and Bledsoe, to some extent, can. They do create some lanes that were not there before. So that's a, that was an exciting thing to see a bit for me. Um, did you notice anything about uh, the pick and rolls that the box run? Well, I know the other day I had mentioned something to Frank about a conversation you and I had had where we were talking about how you were seeing some of like the Spurs classic high spread pick and roll action and also, you were just generally seeing the the pick and roll ran a little bit higher, which obviously gives them a little bit more space. But I don't know if I kept as much track of that over the weekend as opposed to what I was thinking about in that Phoenix game. What did you see during the weekend? Um, they did some very nice drag screens for Giannis in, against the Nets. And for those that uh, aren't aware of the term, drag screens are screens that happen in transition or semi-transition when the ball handler uh, is, you know, on one of the wings and he drives towards the basket and, you know, someone is probably the center is going to, you know, jump up and uh, screen away from the basket. And it it essentially creates a mismatch because you can't, you know, defend it properly. It's very fast and you have to switch. And then the driver gets some space between himself and the center of the opposing team, if, you know, if they switch the pick and roll. And that's how Giannis got to Allen against the Nets twice or three times, I think. Uh, that's encouraging to see. They do run some high pick and rolls uh, for Chris Middleton, who um, I'm not sure they know what they're doing exactly yet. Because, I mean, they ran two, I think, twice, right, twice today. And it was in the wrong direction. I think he was headed uh, left, and you know he can't pull up that way. But there uh, were some encouraging things. Oh, there was also this another kind of drag screen. It was a step up screen for um, Bledsoe that I noticed in both the Phoenix game and the Nets game, um, which essentially you know gets me gets him the same kind of space as they do for Giannis to um, drive and you know miss shots like he usually does it's funny that you mentioned the drag screens because over the weekend i was kind of thinking a little bit about how in the past i've i've kind of seen john henson as uh 
meh screener in that he's just he doesn't have the bulk of of a guy like Steven Adams or like in the past with the Bucks, like a guy like Zaza Pachulia, where he, he's never going to be able to set these just bone crushing screens. But I guess one thing that maybe has been a little bit underappreciated is just how quick he can move his feet offensively um, and how that quickness can really free things up for for the guys that he screens for because after the game Giannis had mentioned something about uh how he wanted those angle screens when Jared Allen was in the game and to set that good angle screen like John Henson has to go up there and flip the screen at, at the very uh, I guess at the latest possible moment and and what I mean by that is if something is set up for you to as a big man screen on the right side of the defender at the very last second you flip to the left side and set a screen there. And then that ball handler is able to kind of play off of that and use that for space. And when you saw, if you go back in the highlights and you look at that, I believe it's that big dunk that ends the first half against the Nets. You can see John Henson kind of wait until the very last moment to set that screen. When he sets that screen, that just kind of propels Giannis and allows him to get the step and get the space that he needs and to kind of take off and blast off and and have that huge dunk. And I, I don't, I'm curious what you would think about it, but it just felt like over the weekend as I was watching, I kept thinking to myself, it. Am I not appreciating John Henson enough as a screener? Because it, it kind of feels like he's doing some some interesting stuff. Let me say that I found some newfound respect for John Henson. Um, he you know, he's actually really quick in doing that, and he still looks awkward when he's doing it. I mean, it's like his his hips are so high, and you know, it's his bum is <laughs> jumping out. But um, yeah, <laughs> uh, he was actually pretty effective doing it. Um, I, I think that when he decides that he's gonna set a screen, he's pretty good at it, but he half passes it, you know, most of the time. And that's something that they're gonna have to look at. I'm, I'm not sure I was quite ready to do this, but uh, I, again, at the start of the year, I had to kind of reconsider it, and now I have to reconsider it again, where maybe I wasn't. I wasn't thinking enough of John Henson as, as a screener and as an offensive player. Some other, another thing I wanted to talk about with the offense was, I think there we mentioned how things are spaced better. There's more space on the floor, and I found that spacing is kind of just something that people say. That as you as you think through exactly what it is that spacing is, I think it's just a term that's thrown about that. If things are going wrong offensively, the spacing's bad, and that'll be the first thing that people say. So, I'm we've had this conversation before, but what is it that you feel kind of defines what good spacing is and what that can mean? Well, first, the most important principle of spacing is having if you have someone who c- cannot shoot, let's say Giannis, although he's the best shooter now. Um, you need to have people that surrounding him, you know, the next positions. I mean, if he's on top of the key, the left and the right, if he's on the wing, on the corner and on top of the key, and if he's in the post, the person directly across him and the one in the opposite corner. Um, that's what creates equal distance between players and it stretches out the defense. 
is the concept of having outside in gravity and inside out gravity. I mean, Giannis in the post is inside out gravity and a shooter opposite him is the outside in gravity. Um, it's generally the idea that when you have players that the defender has to defend and he cannot drop off significantly, significantly from, um, it creates a gap between the players that a good driver can, you know, take advantage of and get more easily to the basket. Um, so far in the season, the box have not been very good at that. I mean, I've tweeted out some images where I, you know, I have a screenshot and then I have the, there's something that's called the convex hull, which is essentially, you know, a polygon that can fit every player inside without overlapping. And there's one amazing one I have that's like, there's like five box players in the right side of the floor. I think like, I don't know, 15 feet of, you know, all of them together in this polygon. To be fair though, there was a lot of open space on the left side. Yeah, that was, <laughs> I told you it's not how it works. <laughs> and I, I hate to bring this one up, but I think as you watch this Bucks team, it would be, I, probably impossible not to think at, at least somewhat about this and it's totally unmeasurable it's not something that you could really ever put your put your fingers on but I think under Prunty you're seeing just confidence right like there there's some level to this team playing with more confidence and I, I was quick to poo-poo it uh, against the Nets and just because I saw Giannis take three threes and all of a sudden it was going to be the the Giannis Adetokounmpo three-point revolution. And <laughs> I, I just never really thought like, like that was going to be a thing. But I think as you watch this team, it's really tough not to think about the, the confidence that these guys are playing with. And I think that can be especially true of some of the the more some of the more peripheral characters in this when when you look at a guy like Jason Terry hitting four threes tonight and you look at Sterling Brown going two for three from three uh, today and you look at some of those fringe guys playing their roles and playing it well and, and even to even to some extent Thon Maker only three points and five rebounds for him today but you saw him shoot, take shots confidently. You saw him uh, get his hands on a ball, uh, or excuse me, on a couple balls. You see, saw him get a block shot. Like there was things there. And you think back to the Brooklyn game, talking with Joe Prunty after the game, he mentioned that we knew that Thon was going to be able to get certain looks in certain places, and we told him before the game to look for that. And you look at Thon that night, four for eight, uh, one for three from three, two for two from the line, so 11 points in 19 minutes. And it's not an incredible night or anything, but just the fact that before the game, he was a part of the game plan. Or if he wasn't part of the game plan, he at least knew hey, these are shots that we believe in you and we know are going to be open for you and you're going to be able to take. Like Just kind of that idea of having a coaching staff that truly believes in you and is kind of giving you that bump of energy, that bump of confidence. Like I, I hate trying to index that because I don't think it's possible to a large extent, but at the same time, I think it would be nearly impossible to to try to deny it. 
I, I don't know. It just makes me uncomfortable because you just get into a spot where you can't really know anything for sure. This isn't something that's measurable. But when you look at this team, I, I feel like you do have to have to think that confidence is at least playing some role. Yeah, I think that confidence is a pretty big part of anyone, first of all, taking shots and making shots. Um, and this is a byproduct of the ball movement we've been seeing in the past few games. I mean, you can see that everyone feels involved in the offense, and some players have taken a back seat. I mean, I think that uh, Chris Middleton, following the Phoenix game, has taken, I don't know, like 13 shots per game or something like that. And he's he seems more, you know, less involved in making the shots and taking the shots, but he is involved in the offense. And that's actually pretty good for the players. I mean, when if you have got, like, um, Sterling Brown come in, and he played, like, 26 minutes today, not counting the ones at garbage time. So he's essentially, you know, a rotational player now. If he knows that he's going get, to get some looks and some shots, it just makes him more confident and he feels more, more involved in the offense and essentially the defense. And that's what well, Kid also mentioned in the past, that, you know, if they feel that they are contributing, they can produce more on the floor. And, and I guess to me that's kind of the big thing, that these guys if they know their role, if they know they're going to get certain shots, if they're going to share the floor with certain guys, if they know from night to night that they're going to be able to make an impact and have a role, that just, I think all of that just grows. So I, like I said, I don't, I hesitate to index a ton into that just because I know that that's something that my eyes just kind of want to see. But at the same time, I think that is something that my eyes are seeing. So with that, anything else that that you're seeing with this Bucks offense right now? Or, or is that about it? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, there's, there are some things that happen, but it's too early to know if it's you know something sustainable. So we can do it later on. In the next podcast, you're going to be forced to invite me to. <laughs> well, is there is there anything that you can mention, I guess, without going into a ton of detail about it like maybe just some words that you're thinking no about? no yeah it's about some kind of you know, kinds of action that the box seem to be running more than they used to um and it involves you know handoffs and some yeah good string but we're gonna see we talked a little bit about some of the positives there that we talk about some of the things that are going right with the offense, but I guess one thing you had mentioned before and one thing you said you want to talk about was kind of maybe some things that were going wrong with the offense. And when you look at these last couple games, Eric Bledsoe really hasn't, hasn't been doing a lot. Uh, he's five of 16 against Brooklyn, three of seven from the three point line. And against Chicago, he is three of 11 and one of eight from the three point line. Um, he, he does add eight rebounds and six assists, but, but largely it feels like when we talk about uh, Giannis and Chris and how they're getting more stuff in the flow of the offense and how the ball is moving more when we talk about Bledsoe, I don't know if I feel that same way. A lot of the times it feels like he's getting his own stuff outside of the offense and he's bogging things down and not taking advantage of kind of the offense that, that could be there. And I, I don't know, like it, 
I'm just trying to figure out exactly what this means and why he would be having these struggles because it just looks like for the last 10 games and then specifically in the last couple games, he's not getting the same sort of success and the same type of looks as the other two major members of the offense. Eric Bledsoe is someone which, uh, for whom I was very excited when he was signed and that's immediately cooled off in my head. I mean, I don't know what they told him when they traded for him. If they told him it's going to be his team to run, if it's going to be his show. But um, I think that lately he's been forcing many, many bad shots. I mean, he's taking like some very, very bad questionable threes in which, you know, they're out of rhythm and he doesn't move the ball much. Uh, he does set good screens. And, you know, he's been doing that for like, I don't know, the past 10, 10 games. So that's a good thing for him. But I do question the fit that he has with his, with this team because he doesn't seem very inclined, you know, to do the things that he's good at, which is break down the defense if he has to break down the defense. And he, I think that he tries to get his shots, you know, way too often with a Especially in the, uh, the third quarter against the Nets, it was it was really painful for me to see. He, he took like I don't know seven shots, which were all bad. Not a single one of them were good, and that killed the offensive flow. Because if you have someone who you know, and Giannis does that too. He did uh, in the I think the the fourth quarter in this game, and pretty much you know. Also in the fourth quarter in the last game, but at least he, you know, he gets to his spot and he generally, you know, evaluates a position and says, okay, it's down to five seconds. I'm going to turn around and, you know, make this jump shot. Where Bledsoe is just, you know, 17 seconds left on the clock. He's just going to pull up for a three after, you know, sitting there for five seconds and thinking about it, which is about shot. And that's what, you know, stops the offense and hurts the defense as well. Because then, you know, the players that were not involved in this position feel kind of left out and they don't have the same, you know, amount of energy and effort on the defensive end. Oh, I see what you did there. I okay, get that it. Was a jab. <laughs> but that that is honestly a really good point because when you think about those other players on the floor, if Bledsoe takes a, a shot where... The ball isn't moving, he's just dribbling, and then all of a sudden he he takes a three. As a, as a teammate, are you, are you really all that interested in getting him back, back on defense for, for that guy? Like, it, it just... It, yeah. Honestly, I can kind of see why you wouldn't actually want to I get I mean, back. he's had, um, looking at now, in the past um, 11 games, he's shot... One out of six, one out of six, zero out of six, zero out of six, one out of six, one out of eight in six of the 11 games from three. And that's more threes than Chris Middleton takes, which is insane because, you know, he's a much better shooter than him. And they're all bad threes. I mean, if he gets a good look, I'm fine with it. I mean, he got, I think, a couple today and a couple yesterday from uh, mostly from Giannis post-ups, you know, after he got doubled. And they were good shots. I mean, it's fine if he takes those. But if it's 20 seconds into, you know, if you've got four seconds in the possession and you've got 20 seconds left and you dribble the ball and you just pull up and hit, you know, take a mid-range jumper, 
then I'm, I, I was going to, if I were the coach, I would bench him immediately, immediately. Yeah, and I think ultimately that's what is so frustrating about it is that those are, are just not great shots and they should be kind of the inverse. Like he should be the one that that is kind of creating and we talk about Giannis and Chris and I talked about how the ball is moving and players are moving more and it would be really, I think, great for the offense if this kind of human dynamo, like this this guy that is so fast and quick, if he was the one helping make all of that go. If it was quick, grab the ball, pass it, cut, get it back, dribble drive, kick out, and keep it moving with Eric Bledsoe, I feel like he's then attacking defenses that are already bent and then he can bend the defenses even further and then he's the one that's kicking the ball out to the shooters like it's just so strange to see a guy that that talented just kind of settle and slow things down when he should be the one turning it up even even a further notch from what it is. What I can't understand about Eric Bledsoe is how can he be so fast and so quick with the ball and still bog down the offense so much, especially, you know, in the second half games where he, you know, he brings the ball up and he takes him like eight seconds to get to the spot where he's going to make a pass or he's going to, you know, they're going to set a pick and roll or something. And that's not something that you would expect from someone who's so fast who could actually push the pace. Yeah, I mean, that's the big thing. Like, he is not the one that's getting it moving. It, it is other guys. And just thinking about what I was kind of expecting, it, it has just been so very different. I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know if there's some issues with his knees, um, if it's health related. But it's something that I've been watching for. And I think that, you know, it, it just magnifies the difference between Giannis bringing the ball up and, you know, Letso bringing the ball up. I mean, when Giannis does it, it's most often a pretty quick position. It's something that's going to happen quickly. There's going to be, you know, a screen. There's going to be some action, some movement, some passes. But when Letso does it, it takes a long time to get into whatever action you want to run. Yeah, it it felt like when when the Bucks traded for him, he was going to be the catalyst. Like he was going to be the guy that pushed the pace, that got everything moving, that that really got this team out on the run. But that just has not been been the case at all. And I I don't know. It's it's a, it's a weird development because those other two guys have kind of figured out how how to work together and he's still kind of just on the on the outside looking in and I don't, I don't know like you would think he's the guy that will have the ball in his hands he's the fastest guy on the floor like all those things can move but it, it just really hasn't happened that way but um we can we can move on from the offense and and head over to the defense uh, unless there's um, yeah, two things um i think that we're gonna see some blame bledsoe tags soon if things keep going the way they're going just wait some um, what? blame bledsoe oh oh okay yeah like hashtag blame bledsoe yes yeah. i 
I think I could see that going forward. Um, Again, second thing, I want to ask you something. Do you think there is some kind of secret beef between Giannis and Tony Snell on who's going to pick up, you know, a teammate first? Are they going to get all the flow? Seriously, I've never seen someone try to... You're running so hard, it's time. <laughs> I, I, I think we're at a point where I should just... Someone should tell Tony Snell... Hey, there's someone that needs to get picked up underneath the basket when he has the ball in his hands because he will blow by everybody. <laughs> it, 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 it will be it will be layup after layup if someone just tells Tony Snell, "Hey, there's someone on the deck right by the rim. Just dribble in, dunk, and then you can pick him up." Uh, all right, uh, let's move on to the defense. Obviously, we spent some some time on the offense. I think with the defense, things are. At least a little bit more clear um, with the offense. I, I think there's still some some questions to be had and, and maybe some some things to figure out with exactly how things will go down. Uh, it's tough to tell after two games, but defensively, it feels like after these two games, you can kind of sense some patterns. Like you can kind of see that that they are playing a little bit more conservatively. Uh, you're starting to see John Henson drop a little bit more. Am, am I, are my eyes kind of messing with me? I, I know this is something that we had kind of discussed uh, over the weekend in in these two games. We talked about it a little bit, but I, I don't know if we ever really came to any sort of consensus. Yes, they are playing uh, kind of like they did um, at that point of the season where they played you know, against uh, Dallas and the Jazz. Um, Nate Duncan... Um, the friend of the podcast, you know, mentioned it. Uh, I think it was the first quarter of the game today that the box are very conservative, conservative, guarding the pick and roll, and that I mean, if you, I had the feeling throughout the game that the Bulls were getting, you know, very hard shots. I mean, they were not taking any easy shots to make. I mean, it was Denzel Valentine who was making some insane floaters. <laughs> what what is up with that? Like. I I felt like all he took was floaters, and when when you look at his box score on the day, I think he's eight for twelve on the day, two for six from three. So subtract those three pointers away, and he's six for six from the field. And I don't I don't think he got to the rim once. I think I'm pretty sure it was all floaters. I I think they were all floaters at the same position. It was a I it were insane shots. They were very hard to make. But you know he's a better version of Delhi. <laughs> we should get him and Delhi out here playing horse. Come on, Delhi doesn't make any of them anymore. He's <laughs> the worst shot in the universe. Um. So anyway, uh, they were defending conservatively at the pick and roll, and that's something that we've seen before in this season. But they still tend to to overhelp in other actions. I mean, they do double the post. They do tend to help uh, in the high post, which is generally, you know, it's not such a bad thing because it's usually in a drive and the direction of the ball is against kicking out, you know, to the wings. So it's not that easy to get an open look, but it still led to some breakdowns defensively, especially in the second half. And that's something that I don't want to touch upon, um, that the box seemed to be less active in the second half today and it's happened the same thing against the Nets where they were actually pretty conservative against against Nets and I wasn't sure at first Um, I watched the game and the Nets moved so much in their offense 
and it's hard to understand what the Bucks were doing because there are drives and kicks, drives and kicks, and you know, flash screens and everything for the Nets. But they were actually, after I rewatched the game, they were quite conservative, except for when Thon Maker was in, where he, you know, as well as well as he played in the past two games, and I think that you know, by his standards, he was playing well. He did still makes so many mistakes on defense. I mean, and I, those are not schematic mistakes. They're just mistakes due to his uh, lack of awareness, inexperience. I don't know. But um, I was very happy with the defense in the first half today. I was happy with the defense yesterday. Um, I think that things are moving well. Um, also, there was this interview that, well, Q&A between John Host and one of the Journal Sentinel guys, and he mentioned that they might try to, you know, simplify things both offensively and defensively. And it's partly what we're seeing on defense, but again, we can't be sure if it's going to, you know, last if um, they're going to go back to being more aggressive against the pick and roll or especially, you know, against specific teams. I mean, if they play against the Celtics, I expect them, you know, to blitz, carry everything, you know, every position. Um, but we're going to see. Yeah, to me, it's it's going to be interesting to see what this team does against a, a team that has a legitimate pick and roll option because when you look at the playmakers and the creators on this Brooklyn team and this Bulls team, they they, they just don't really have them. Like Spencer Dinwiddie is nice, but he's not striking fear into your heart as as a pick and roll creator. So. I I just wonder, and and like you said, I assume when you have when when you see this team play a, a real creator and a real threat off the dribble, I assume you see them do some more of that trapping and some of that high hedging and some of those more aggressive tactics. Like I think those come back and, and it's kind of the same thing with Chicago. I don't think anyone on that roster really scares you. You you're fine with going under a ball screen for Zach Levine when Zach Levine is over nine to start the game. And I think you think the same thing about Jerry and Grant, Justin holiday. I don't think those are guys that really strike fear into your heart, but as you face a guy like Kemba Walker or you face a guy like you mentioned, like Kyrie Irving, like I do wonder how much all of that begins to change because I, you have to assume that they will go back to some of that. And it, it's just going to be interesting to watch and, and see how that fits into maybe some things that are more conservative. Like how will that pair with some more conservative defensive philosophies elsewhere. So uh, I think, to me, that's really when things become interesting. What has, though, excited me as we watch this this team play more conservatively is it's kept John Henson close to the rim. And he's obviously a, a little bit on the slender side, and we've talked about his quickness on the offensive side. So he can do some things defensively where he moves his feet and he's he's okay at those things i I don't know if he's great at them but 
with him being able to stay near the basket, I just feel like that's a place where he can really use his length. I feel like you're really getting a lot out of John Henson when you're kind of able to let him stay by the rim, affect shots, and and he can really do some damage from there. And that's what this more conservative approach has has sort of allowed him to do. And I feel like you're you're getting a really uh, and again, this is the second time I'm saying this in the podcast, just a guy that maybe I've undersold in the past that he is able to be a, a little bit more successful and he, he's ha- he's finding some success. Actually, what's more exciting to me is that John Henson has shown actually pretty good skills at switching to smaller guys. And I wasn't expecting that at all. I mean, they did switch a lot today and it was mostly evident against uh, Merkanen and... Um, um, Irritage because they, you know, they had Delhi or Bledsoe on them, and Hansen had to, you know, guard, I think, um, Grant or uh, Holiday. And he was doing a very good job at containing them, and that's not an easy thing to do if you're a big. Yeah, we'll have to see how they use Hansen going forward and, and kind of what they they start to do in it and the changes that they might make. And I guess one thing that I found interesting today was that. Though they moved to something a little bit more conservative, the help still seemed to be over-aggressive. There still seemed to be some of that over-helping, which which we've talked about. And there there was multiple times where you would see... And, and I mean, this was some of their best guys. Like it was Giannis, it was Chris. Um, I think there was a time where Tony Snell did it. And... It's just something I I wrote about it. I don't even know at this point. Two years ago, three years ago, uh, at Brew Hoop about Chris Middleton and overhelping, and I had written it mid season, and I wondered, is this something that that he could fix in this season? And I guess that's kind of the question I posed to you: is these Bucks players have sort of been conditioned to overhelp so much that? They really do try to load up the strong side, and, and they do really try to show a wall to an extent that isn't hasn't really been necessary. Like there's just so many guys on, on one side, and then they'll skip it over the top. And I guess is there is there relief coming in the sense that maybe some of those overhelping habits will will go away, or is that going to be? a longer process because again it feels like when i say these things and when you watch it you can just say okay don't do that anymore but these are things that have kind of been ingrained in these guys minds for for years at this point i think that might take a long time to do that you might want to start off by um you know stopping at specific kinds of plays like you know stop over stop you you direct the players to stop helping when there's a post-up because at some point there was uh, I think it was was Giannis again who was against uh, Merkanen and there was help behind him and it was completely pointless because we've mentioned in the past that Giannis is an outstanding post defender he doesn't need the help yeah I would trust him against Robin Lopez who is you know a heavier guy but Giannis knows how to position his body to stop post-ups and if even if they do get the post-up it's fine it's the worst play in basketball but generally i think that you know you have to take it step by step and you have to try to 
tone it down a bit at first and then progressively, you know, try to eliminate it and just, you know, help when it's actually needed. When there's a breakdown that's, you know, on the point of attack and it's on the right side of the floor, you know, there's not one pass away that's going to be an open three-point shot. That's when you can help. Uh, it's going to take some time, I think. And I don't even think that's that necessary. I mean, I think that the Bucks are skilled enough and long enough to, you know, either conservative against most actions. And, I mean, today the Bulls could get nothing out of the pick and roll. They just stopped running pick and roll at some point in the second quarter. Um, it's it's more, you know, uh, acceptable to have a defense that, you know, okay, we're going to have a help here, but it's not going to destroy us. It's gonna not going to give, you know, this huge defensive rating, like I tweeted out like a couple of weeks ago, how much the box defense gives up when they trap, which was an insane number. It was like 145 points for, you know, 100 possessions. And the funny thing about that is that um, it wasn't actually the expected point per possession, um, you know, outcome for these traps, but it's just those shots that the box were giving up were if they had such a high expectancy, you know, they were either threes, which means that if the shot is made, you get three points, or they were shots at the rim, which were very high value shots. So, you know, uh, statistics say that it's more, um, you know, there's a higher chance of having a shot that's good go in than having a, a shot that's not good go in. And it's not just, you know, full goal percentages. It's that if uh, a shot that's, you know, that might give you three points, it's going to give you three points more often than not if the look is good. So that's why, you know, it, it was consistently higher numbers on the expected value. And the expected value was also, you know, disgusting. It's like, it was like 115 uh, points for 100 possessions. Hopefully we continue to see something like we saw uh, on Sunday where where they are forcing some of those mid-range shots and uh, hopefully it all continues. Um, anything else uh, about the defense that you wanted to touch on? Uh, I don't think so. I just want to give props to Thunmaker for actually, you know, being good defensively today when he wasn't making mistakes. Uh, he had that, I think he had a couple of steals and one was very nice, was off of Schwitz, where he, you know, totally jumped on the pass and he wasn't overexcited or playing too fast like he usually does. It was on point and, you know, it was what you would expect from someone like Thon Maker. It was... You know, it's a long guy who is actually mobile, not fast, but mobile, but who can affect plays. And when Thon, you know, stays on his feet and doesn't move around like crazy bunny, he can be a very good defender. And to be clear, when Dean mentioned jumping on a steal on the ball, that wasn't to say he was literally jumping there. That means he had stayed down and he was down on his on his feet in a stance and he was in a position where he could make a move at the ball. Someone tried to throw a pass to his side and he was able to reach out and, and touch it. So like th- those type of things, if Don is low, in a stance, all the excitement about his agility and his quickness, like and his length, that can all shine through. But if he's jumping around like crazy, it, he just is not a great defender. So um, I think that's going to be it. 
I just want to thank you, Dean, for coming through. I know you were such a big Jason Kidd fan that this had to be really hard on you. Um, this is me being devastated. Um, I just did it because <laughs> it's my job. I had a work to do. Um, I had good coaches, though, so it's all good. All right, Dean, that is going to be it for us for tonight. Um, is there, before you go, is there anything that that you need to plug, anything that you're working on uh, over at Brew Hoop? Uh, what do you got coming up? So I was writing an article about spacing. Um, then I stopped because we were playing around actually together, um, designing some plays that might work for the books. I released one set that was pretty, I don't know, experimental. Oh, yeah, and there's one more set that's going to come after this spacing article. That's going to be Eric Names Ideas. So you should, you know, check it out. It's going to be great. Oh, so so enthusiastic, Dean. Uh, Really selling that you're going to like my ideas. I really appreciate that. Uh, Just one last thing I forgot to mention. I'm going to be at the uh, roundtable on Hoop Mag. Um, it's a great, you know, little thing where they gather many people from NBA, huh, the NBA sphere, mostly Twitter, and they ask some questions. And I'm gonna be in on that next edition. All right, uh, that that's the Hoop Mag Roundtable. I think that's ran by Josh Eberly. Eberly, I'm not 100 percent sure how to pronounce his name, um, but he always does a really nice job with that, and always a good way to catch up with some of the people in the NBA Twitter sphere and kind of take a, a look around the league. So be sure to check out all that stuff that Dean just talked about. Uh, thanks for listening through this. Um, thanks for listening and Dean thanks for coming on the podcast and that's gonna be it for us for today on Lockdown Bucks for Dean and I guess for Frank and for Matilda I'm Eric this has been Lockdown Bucks we'll talk to you tomorrow